I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. It's time to talk Sixers. Simmons off balance and an incredible bank shot is good. Here on the broadcast. The official podcast of Sixers.com. Embiid drives down the lane. He goes in and slams it. Oh, man. What a play by Embiid. Now, here's today's episode. My, my, my. It is amazing to see and feel just how much a city, its vibe, its people can change in a matter of days. And that is certainly what has happened in Philadelphia, the surrounding Delaware Valley, sports fans of this town all over the place. Since last we had a Friday edition of the broadcast, Brian Seltzer saying hello. And as always, thanks for checking out the podcast. Yes, it was a historic moment, unquestionably, last Sunday in Minneapolis. And the culmination of a couple days worth of celebration taking place on Thursday up Broad Street, around Dilworth Plaza, out onto the parkway, all the way to the Art Museum. If you had a chance, an opportunity to experience the Super Bowl parade, whether it was in person, scrolling along with your feeds, streaming, watching the old-fashioned way on television, uh, hopefully you were able to take away um, some lifelong memories uh, from however you soaked it in and just... uh, a joyous experience. It was something. Uh, and certainly it was a long time coming for the birds and the city and the team threw down <laughs> as such. It's uh, hard not to have the no one likes us, no one likes us, no one likes us. Celebratory song still stuck in your head after Thursday. All right, that's probably as much jurisdiction as I should have crossing over into football talk territory right? Uh, Well, whether it is or it is not, um, onward we move to some 76ers-related basketball talk. 
So for this edition of the podcast, we're going to talk with a guy who is intimately familiar with Brett Brown and also has great insights on the Simmons family as well. This man hails from the first family of basketball in Australia, and his name is Andrew Gaze. Who is Andrew Gaze? More on that in just a second before we bring him on for the interview. But first, a reminder that to subscribe to the podcast, you can head to our SoundCloud feed at soundcloud.com backslash Sixers. And you can also go to iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher and type in Sixers Podcast Network, and that should take you to us. Andrew Gaze is arguably one of the most accomplished Australian basketball players of all time. He's an Aussie basketball Hall of Famer. He is also regarded as one of the top international players ever, as one of FIBA's 50 greatest of all time and a FIBA Basketball Hall of Famer. His father's name is Lindsey Gaze. If you are deeply in tune with the international basketball circuit, Lindsey Gaze is a name you might know. He is an iconic coaching figure in Australia. He's in the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame and someone who gave Brett Brown his very first professional coaching gig. At the time, Andrew Gaze, who we're talking with, was a player on the team when Brett was an assistant. And a few years after Brett got to the Melbourne Tigers and began as an assistant there, Dave Simmons, Ben Simmons' dad, was signed by the team and brought on board. So... That might be very dense and a lot to digest at the beginning, but over the course of this conversation, we'll get into some of those stories and connections more with Andrew Gaze. So without further ado, we will bring him on right now. Andrew, to get things started, why don't you give us some perspective on just how much attention the country of Australia is paying to the 76ers right now with gentlemen like Brett Brown and Ben Simmons involved in the mix? Well, I'll say this. It's a a lot more than it was a couple of years ago, that's for sure. And um, I guess it's a a twofold explanation. One is that, of course, it's been a a great um, turnaround in their form and they're getting some wins on the board and the way in which they're playing. Uh, And then, of course, course, the the primary reason that it's it's covered so extensively over here right now is because of uh, Ben Simmons. He's a a young man that uh, grew up here in Australia uh, played with the Australian junior team, spent time in, um, in in Melbourne playing for the state of Victoria at the national championship. So he's um, he's created a bit of a storm over here with the way in which he's uh, he's been able to have the success during his rookie year. And I dare say that that would be uh, a rippling effect right throughout the world, given the way in which he's been able to play. I mean, seriously, though, what are the odds of someone who has such deep ties to Australian basketball like Brett Brown overseeing the development of perhaps one of the top <laughs> prospects to ever come out of the country. It's crazy. It is. And um, it's, it's one of those things where just the fickle hand of fate works in mysterious ways, doesn't it? And it was just a, uh, a, a great situation where I think Brett, having spent so, so many years here in Australia coaching our national team at the Olympic Games and and uh, married an Australian uh, lady and, and has uh, just got a, an intimate understanding of the culture of, uh, of Australia and Australians. And although uh, Ben has uh, Dave Simmons, his dad, who also spent many, many years in Australia and still, uh, as I understand it, resides here most of the time here in Australia. In fact, although he was born in the United States, I think given right now, I think his dad had probably been his, 
mid to late fifties. Uh, he probably has spent more time in Australia than he has in, in the United States. So I think it really does help uh, with Ben's transition when he's got someone uh, providing that tutelage and guidance for him through those formative years that, that understands a little bit about his background and where he's come from and, and uh, what makes him tick. You've got plenty of connections yourself to this whole thing between Brett and the Simmons' family, but at the outset of this chat, I really wanted to focus on Brett and his beginnings in coaching, what you recall from that period of time, which must have been, if we're going to put a time stamp on this, around the late 1980s in Melbourne. Does that put us at the right place in time for yeah. when you and Brett first crossed paths? Yeah, absolutely. And I remember it really, really vividly because it was uh, following the season I had at the University of Seton Hall. I played at, at Seton Hall University in the 88-89 season and uh, we happened to have the good fortune to go through to the championship game. Unfortunately, lost that one in overtime to, to Michigan. But um, uh, my dad was the coach of the Melbourne Tigers and I remember when I was at Seton Hall and He's saying, oh, I've got this new young American kid who's going to be like an intern type thing that's going to come and work out and be part of the coaching staff with, with, the, with the club team. And um, he was coming, and, and, and not only was he just coming as a, a guy that was just wanting an opportunity and to be a part of, of our program, but he was also coming to, to work with the team, and he was actually starting in, in doing some marketing for the team, selling sponsorships and, and those types of things, as well as coaching. So... Uh, you have this picture in your head that uh, of, of, of what that guy stereotypically might look like. Uh, but I remember when, when I first arrived and there was this, this kid, he looked like he was about 17, uh, walking around in the office and coming to practice and got introduced and it was, it was Brett Brown. And, and uh, although he, was, he looked very young and, and still does, he's, he's probably late 50s as well right now and he still looks like he's 30. He's, he's been blessed with great genetics but uh, you can imagine when he was uh, in his early 20s or mid to early 20s what he looked like and um, but it was it was a great experience for him he, he's just got this infectious personality where um, really funny guy that had a, a, a great uh, acumen for the game but but uh, more importantly was a, a guy that could bring people together because of his humor and the and his perspective on life and the game made it uh, made it, uh, him a real fun guy to be around and, and everyone loved him and he was prepared to do all the jobs which I guess did himself to the coaches and the players and um, and then fortunately for him he learned a lot and, and, and came up through the ranks here in Australia through the various uh, coaching leagues and um, eventually went on to become our, our, our national coach so we, we um, really enjoy and, and love the time that, that Brett uh, spent here in Australia and what he was able to do for Australian basketball. Really is an amazing story. Um, was the New England accent as strong with Brett back then as it is now? <laughs> yeah. Well, I think he, he's very good at adapting. And right. <laughs> um, I think that he tried to tried to jump into the Australian accent pretty quickly. Um, but uh, just so he, he, he felt part of it. But, um, but yeah, to, to me it was... It was one of those ones where um, you had this understanding of what a New England accent was, but it was like this butchered New England accent because he he was um, he spent a little bit of time in Australia traveling around and, and, and I guess, uh, trying to embrace the Australian culture and probably most importantly, 
trying to be understood, uh, he adopted a, 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 a bit of an Australian lingo and a bit of Australian accent as well, so it was all over the place for a little bit there. And was the mop top, rag top hairdo as prominent then as some <laughs> yeah. of the pictures? I'm just, you know, I was going back and looking at some of the pictures of his days at Boston University. That is a yeah. distinct quaff of hair. That, it is a good, healthy head of hair, <laughs> but it was a bouffant. This bouffant that he had rolling around in his head, it looked like he'd had a perm or something uh, go through it. But um, but I guess back in those days, you know, it's like when you look back at those we didn't sort of think anything of it at the time. He had the sort of the mullet going on where it was a bit longer at the back and all the, the curly uh, crocs on the front. Uh, we didn't sort of think too much of it, but obviously when you look back on it now, it's um, not sure you could pull that look off these days. Between yourself, a FIBA Hall of Famer, and your dad, a Hall of Famer himself, you guys have done so much for the sport in Australia, and it's something that Brett talks about a lot when he's discussing his coaching influences, whether it's your dad, Lindsay, or someone like Rick Pitino, or his own father, or Greg Popovich, citing different things he took along the way from each of those experiences. How did he originally connect with your dad for that very first coaching opportunity with the Melbourne Tigers? Well, I think it was just one of those random situations in that he came, he was originally working, and I believe he was working for AT&T selling telephones right. um, or telephone services. And then what happened was he had this passion for coaching, and, and he also, he's got this effervescent personality, and he, he, he wanted to travel the world and see different places. And he stumbled on a job in New Zealand, in fact, and New Zealand's a different country to Australia. I'm not, I don't want to take anything for granted here. Uh, and um, he coached in the, the New Zealand League. And and the way he described it, he said he had no idea what he was doing. And uh, he was learning on the job. And, and uh, he said, well, all he could do is he made him the fittest team he possibly could. And I think he looked back on that time and said, uh, well, it was great for him, but perhaps not great for the team that he was coaching. But uh, he had that experience there and then was looking to continue that, that journey that he was on. And um, uh, almost randomly, I believe, is that uh, he came to and, and called basically out of the blue, cold calling, uh, was able to get onto my dad. And I think he'd made a few calls to various people, but my dad was really the only one that listened to him and was prepared to give him a go. Because, um, as you can imagine, there's a, a lot of ambitious people that are uh, coming from the States or various parts of the world looking for opportunity, and Australia being a great country to live, that those um, those types of requests are, are made quite regularly. And um, he was probably one of many, but for whatever reason, um, he, uh, he and my dad listened to him. And, and I think a, a little... Sidebar to that was that another player that was from the, the uh, city of Melbourne, his name was David Stiff, and David Stiff was playing for Brett's dad in at Boston University. And I think I think that that's where the connection and the names that were being banded around and being in the NBL, that's how it all sort of fell into place um, for, for, for how he gained an opportunity. It's really like the farther you go and the bigger the world seems at times, the smaller it actually is. It's nuts just how within the fraternity there can be all those connections. So you were playing for Melbourne for your dad at the time when Brett joined the coaching staff, and you mentioned that 
maybe the uh, tasks and responsibilities that Brett had initially were not of the very much distinguished variety. Do you remember any specific? Uh, <laughs> that's, 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 do you remember any of the specific that's, things that's, that he had to do? That's probably the more polite way to uh, describe <laughs> it. But um, but no, spot on. And oh, absolutely. And like I said, he he he's. Um, job description was very uh, much beyond just coaching. He was there from a marketing centre. He was the greatest salesman I think the club's ever had. Because of his personality type, I mean, he could sell snow to the Eskimos. I mean, he, he could, <laughs> he's just got that way about him that he's um, very engaging, really likable, and um, I guess his experience of selling telephones for AT&T or telephone services held him in good stead in that regard. And he um, he was at, but as far as um, our, where we practiced at, there was this old rickety army warehouse storage facility that had been converted into a basketball facility, and there was possums, there was rats, and I mean, before each training session, you literally had to go mop the possum wee up and possum poo off the floor, <laughs> and then we'd sweep the floors and and do all those types of things uh, before we before we could even start practice and. I think he was uh, charged with a lot of those types of tasks. But um, as a guy who was looking for an opportunity, he, he, the thing about Brett is that he's um, a pretty humble sort of guy and, and, and he's, he's happy to get his hands dirty. And it didn't faze him. He, anything just to have this experience, he was always extraordinarily grateful for the opportunities he was getting and the chance to live in another country and uh, learn about the game of basketball and uh, at a relatively high level as well, I think that he just felt privileged and was happy to do anything. guess you learn a lot about a man's fortitude when he is put to the task of cleaning up um, possum waste, that sort of thing, just for the sake of a job. So for, for some of us who might not be as informed with what your dad was doing at the time and some of the basketball philosophies that were a part of his coaching style. What were some of the things that your dad was all about? And maybe even now, as you look back and you've seen Brett evolve over the course of his coaching career, mm. that you draw some parallels mm. between. Well, I think that uh, it was really uh, an eye opener for Brett because uh, in our situation, you're dealing with uh, guys that, and the age range in our team at the time, age from, say, 17-year-olds all the way up to 34, 35-year-olds. So you had this real diversity, and the coaching style of my dad, I think, was vastly different to that of a stereotypically what you see in college, where it's it's very dictatorial, it's very my way or the highway, and the coach really had this authoritarian approach on the team, and which is understandable when you're talking about kids 17 uh, to, to 21, that type of age, age group. You can understand why... As part of the teaching, they were, they were pretty dogmatic in the way they'd go about it. I think it was an eye-opener for him because the, the player-coach relationship was so vastly different. Uh, the players being able to contribute and have input into your systems you're running, suggestions on, on how in which uh, the game would be played. And I think that my dad um, had a way of, of really being able to put some rules in place, but I guess... Guided discovery would be the best way that I would dis describe it as far as the, the way in which he interacted with the players. He wasn't a yeller and a screamer. He wasn't, you know, he, he'd get emotional at times, but no, 
nothing like what you stereotypically see at college, particularly for Brad, who played for Rick Pitino, who I think there's no doubt he's his coaching genius, but it's fair to say that he's pretty animated and uh, had, a, had a way about him that, uh, that, you, that left you in no uncertain terms about his style. So it was, um, uh, you know, it was vastly different. And I think that the X's and O's and the style of play, sure, that was different, but that's, that's different everywhere around the world and, and you're going to pick that up and, and learn that. But I, I, I think that the, probably the greatest lessons that he, he learned were beyond the X's and O's was just the, the interaction, the demeanour, the, the relationship building, how in which you, you, there are other ways to get outcomes out of players rather than just demanding being dictatorial and saying, well, this is it, it's black and white, there's only one way to do it. Uh, so I think that that was probably a big part of his learning experiences. I think hopefully I'm remembering this correctly, that Brett has said from Rick Pitino, he learned a lot about the importance of fitness and being in the best shape of your life. Mm. Um, and from Greg Popovich, a lot about defense. And I'm pretty sure he said from your dad, there were some more offensive schematic influences yeah. that he took. Is, <laughs> is that true? What, what was your dad uh, doing back then? Yeah, well, we 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 run a lot of sh- the, the shuffle. It's called, and I mean, I can go into details, but I don't want to bore you with with what that means. But it's a lot of cutting, cutting and passing, a lot of cutting and passing, and perhaps compared to the modern game, significant less action with the ball, a lot of action without the ball. It had some action with the ball, but it was a, a this. I think it took him a while to get his head around exactly what was going on. Because it's not, it wasn't necessarily a, a, a simple black and white, this is how you, you do things. There was this action with his cutting and screening and timing and um, reading, reacting within the, within the confines of a, a, um, a, a specific structure that, we, that takes a lot of time to learn. And, and um, it, it, it's not easy to understand. And when you're a coach and you're trying to, I remember there were times when, You'd split the team up either end. You'd be going five on zero, and and he'd have one end. And a lot of times, the players would have to help him through it. He'd have a basic understanding, but when it got to the second or third um, series of the of the actions that were happening, it, it, it can get a little confusing. So it was, um, yeah, I think that, that he embraced a lot of that, and uh, it's interesting. You know, I mean, watching some of the, the stuff that he's done as a coach now, that that is. Um, you know, it's not necessarily similar to what we do, but there are certain actions that are on in the game that I look at and go, oh, there's a third option, or oh, there's a reverse that he's trying to run. There's kind of similarities to what we were doing back then to what he's doing now. It is interesting because there is a lot of movement with the Sixers now, even as far as the pace when they get into half-court sets. And, and most of all, it's just like it seems philosophically one of the things that he says all the time is that the pass is king. So it sounds like maybe that was something that he, he took from that experience. It's interesting. Oh, for sure. For sure. And and I think that it's a it's, the, the game is a, a lot of people trying to repeat what others do and they have success with. And, and I think that it does have some trends. And I think that fortunately that is a bit of a trend that we're seeing now. You see it with the Spurs. You see it with some of the Boston action that they do. Um, certainly with what Brett's trying to do, uh, where there's a bit more passing and cutting and a bit more coordination between the guys rather than just saying, well, roll the balls out, we'll get in the wrong ball and let, let talent prevail. I think it's a, a far better game 
to watch. And when the players embrace it, it's, it's a beautiful game to be a part of. And I think that that's what um, San Antonio has certainly had a big input uh, on um, and what they are doing uh, over the last, say, 10 to 15 years. And, 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 of course, with Brett being a part of that program for so long, I'm sure that he's taken inspiration for from some of the things that were, were happening there as well. So uh, I think we, we, we're fortunate in the game that, that that's happening because the other stuff can get a little stale. Let's talk about you and Brett for a moment. You guys aren't too far apart in terms of age. Did you guys, because of that, become close when he was an assistant and you were still playing for Melbourne at the time? Yeah, absolutely. You know, we still um, communicate. We, 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 when he comes back to Australia in the off-season, we, we always catch up and he comes to visit my, visit my dad. Um, and we try and catch up. When I was over there at the Summer League looking at some players, I got to spend a little bit of time with him there. We we we, we communicate via text and, and uh, still keep some, some contact there. And, yeah, I, he's a, a good friend. I, I know him well. I know his family well. Anna is a, a, a terrific lady and has done a great job with his family. So it's um, it's one that, that, that my dad, when my dad got uh, inducted into the Naismith Hall of Fame, he was one of the people that that he wanted there. So Brett came to that a couple of years ago in uh, Springfield, Massachusetts over there. And, and my dad is, um, it, it's almost like Brett's one of his sons as well. He's extraordinarily proud of Brett. And, um, and of what he's been able to achieve, and not not just the way in which he coaches his basketball team, but the the way he's developed into a, a man and a father, and someone that's great that, that that goes beyond just his basketball, that goes to the community, and the way he treats people is something that um, I think he feels very very proud of. You can only trust Wikipedia and what you read on that website so much but oh, i think uh, <laughs> i think on brett's page it said that he and you were running a camp at the time during the nba lockout and that's uh, and that's yep. when rc buford from the spurs was over in australia and was that one of the first connections Correct. that you guys had with rc and did that ultimately lead to the opportunity that and i didn't even realize this at first that when brett was over there for the first season in 98 99 that's when you spent a season with the spurs playing for san antonio as well right yeah that's right and and, and what happened was is uh, we just finished the world championships in 98 in in, in greece and um, uh, Greg Popovich was there and had some people talk to me and asked if I'd be interested in coming and joining the Spurs. And oh, I thought that it was uh, just you know, some sort of joke at the time. But because of the lockout, he, we, we weren't speaking to him directly. And, and, and um, it was just a, one of those things where you're always hopeful and thinking, oh, this could be a great experience. But at, my, at, at, at that particular time, I was 33 years of age, it was getting a bit older, you start to think, well, maybe that opportunity... Uh, had passed you by, but um, uh, it was funny because it, we were doing it. It was just after uh, Christmas time, and we were in uh, Sydney, and we were both lived in Melbourne, but we were doing this camp in Sydney, and it was an era where I didn't even have a mobile phone, but <laughs> somehow or other, somehow or other, we're in this camp, and uh, we're in the city of Liverpool. It was a Liverpool community centre, a three-court basketball stadium, and and I get. One of the, the uh, and it's a multi-sports complex. There's swimming and badminton and other sports that are going on there. And the manager of the facility comes down and said, "There's some American bloke on the phone and wants to talk to you." And, um, and I thought, you know, had no idea what it was about. And sure enough, it was um, RC 
just continuing to make inquiries about whether or not I was interested in coming to, to Australia. And and because of the lockout, we all thought that there wasn't going to be a season anyway, but I developed a relationship with R.C. Buford. And at the time, uh, Brett and I, outside of those little community camps we were doing, we were also doing, uh, I, I don't know if they're still around in the States, but it was an Adidas ABCD camp in Australia. And... Um, and we were, they were looking for someone to come out here from the States to, to help with our camp. Because I'd been talking to RC, we, um, we said that we invited him out to be one of the, the coaches in our camp because there was a lockout. And uh, he came out to Australia and helped us out at the camp. We got to know him, and that's how Brett got to know him. And um, Brett's team, unfortunately, that, that season had folded. Uh, had stopped not folded, they'd merged with another team. And Brett said to RC at the time, said, listen, I'm, I'm still getting paid for next year. I, I, I'm, I'm keen to, to go and learn. Can, could, I, could I be a, like an intern with the Spurs? And because he'd seen and worked with Brett here in, in Australia, that one thing led to another, and he got an opportunity there. The lockout ended, and I got an opportunity with the Spurs, and everything seemed to fall into place for us. It's amazing because, A, not only did the two of you guys have each other, which must have been nice and some familiarity to go through that season, but it ends in a title, <laughs> which had to be incredible. Yeah. Well, the funny thing about it for Brett is, and the unfortunate thing for Brett was, is we were over there and he was there for the vast majority of the season. Uh, but what happened, and this is where it becomes a little bit ironic, uh, the Sydney Kings, I believe, come calling. And he actually left us to come back to Australia right on the eve of the playoffs. So Brett, because he had a head coaching job here back here in Australia. So I think I think that the way it unfolded is my memory and my memory. I'm getting a bit older now, so but I, I think he actually missed that that Cinderella run we had through the playoffs. I'm not sure if he was physically actually there. He was there for the for the vast majority of the season. But because um, because of the opportunity he had back here, um, he'd left and, and started uh, came back to be a head coach. And that was, he was only here, I think, because of the impact that Brett made. He only came back for Australia for another maybe a, a year, a season or two uh, before RC was and, and Pop wanted him to, to come back there to to continue his um, NBA journey. And obviously, he started off at a pretty low level, but. He worked his way way up through the ranks and became very significant and and a very strong contributor to the to uh, to a number of their championship victories. Guy must have the touch because I think his first year back in the states with the Spurs, uh, they won another championship. So, you know, good things Absolutely. following the man around. He's had to endure some hardship, and I think that um, with his stint with the Philadelphia, but uh, I, I think it's a credit to him to be able to go through that hardship and. We live in a world where, regardless of the circumstances, not everyone necessarily understands uh, the situation. And, and, and although most experts would, would appreciate the challenges he faced, uh, the rank-and-file fan, they, um, they can be still pretty harsh. And for him to have that perseverance and, and determination to, to get things right uh, and, and find a formula that was going to... and, and a process... <laughs> Pardon the pun, I guess, but a process that they had to go through in order to uh, to get to where they are today, I think, speaks volumes for, for the, his character and the way in which he goes about it. The process, truly a phenomenon known worldwide. <laughs>
my son has because now because of Brett, he, he's a he's a bit of a Sixers fan. He's got a he's got a picture with he's got a T-shirt with Joel Embiid on it, and it's got it's right across the middle. It just says one word: process. So I said, "Gee, we the, the marketing experts are, are really getting some bang for their buck." It's tremendous. That is tremendous. So as we begin to wrap this up and bring it kind of full circle, there's no doubt that between Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, Brett's got some pieces to work with with the 76ers, especially this season. They've gotten off to a really strong start. In respect to what Ben has done this year on the cusp of a potential berth to the All-Star game in a few weeks, what's been the country of Australia's reaction to what he's done? Has he even exceeded whatever expectations there might have been going into this season, his first playing in the NBA? I think so. I remember when he was coming out of high school and even when he was at LSU, Everyone talking about him is this is the second coming of LeBron James, and a lot of people here are sort of saying, "Well, turn it up." I mean, we know he's very, very good, but gee whiz, the kid doesn't need that type of pressure. How's he going to respond to those types of things? And the, the, although he's a supreme athlete, incredible hand-eye coordination, unbelievable ball skills, and but you also saw that perhaps the jump shot needed a little bit of work and those types of things. Everyone knew that he was going to be a major impact player in the NBA, and that was a given. You could just see that talent from the time he was 14 or 15. But I don't think anyone expected him to have the maturity, the impact, the the, the, the passion, the composure, uh, and, and dare I say it, in some respects, the skill to do so quickly what he's doing in his basically his first season. Now, I know, he, I know he's around, and, and certainly would have been a great advantage for him to to have that induction that he did last season uh, when he was hurt. But uh, to come on the floor and to face the pressure of uh, and the expectation of not only the um, the Australian public, but more importantly, the, the, the media and the hype that's generated over there in the United States, which we all know is off the charts, uh, the way in which he's handled it, uh, we're, I guess, a little surprised that it's happened so quickly. Um, and we're just extremely proud of the way in which he's handled it and conducted himself in a manner that um, has made Australia feel good about uh, him as an individual and, and proud to call him an Australian. He's talked on a couple of occasions about taking some of the influences of Australian culture and how that's carried over to the basketball court. Can you give us a little bit of insight on what that might be, things that have to do with teammateship, the selfless nature of his style of play, things like that? Yeah, exactly. It's part of our culture here, particularly with our team sports. And in all honesty, a lot of it's driven by our NRL, which is the rugby, and the AFL, which is Australian rules football. And culturally, uh, they, they, they kind of frowned upon the, the look at me, the individual um, approach to it all. Uh, your teammates really keep you in, in line with that type of stuff. And, um, and, I, and I think that that's helped him as far as dealing with the circumstances. There's no doubt he has great self-belief. There's no doubt that, that, that um, he has the confidence to, to, to match it with the best of them. But I think that you look at the way he plays and the way, he, the way in which he wants to incorporate his teammates, the way in which he can celebrate successes of his teammates, the way in which he responds to his coaches. You don't see necessarily that, that 
uh, with a lot of young players, the prima donna approach to it all. There is an understanding of get on with the job. Um, yeah, you might have some adversity, take some hits along the way, but let's not get involved with the, the, the theatrics that go along with it. Um, let's just get through it. And that's very much part of the Australian culture, the way that the sporting culture, the way in which the fans embrace um, their athletes. And uh, we've seen it here when you see Australian athletes that don't do that. We've seen it dramatically with some of our tennis players who have just been disgraceful, relative for our terms, behaving in a, in a disgraceful way. It's frowned upon by the public, it's frowned upon by the media, and it, 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 it does make uh, life pretty difficult. But here, I think that that's really helped him. And, and I think from a, a physical standpoint, I can still remember uh, going and watching... Uh, my son was playing and, and I was coaching my son and, and Ben was, uh, I think, 14 years of age. And they were playing in the game before my son's and Julie, his, his mum, was there. And I remember talking to his mum and saying, gee, Ben's growing, he looks like he's... And Dave was coaching the, the team, his dad was coaching the team. And this is, you know, under 14, under 16 type age groups. And I remember talking to his mum and I said, oh, Ben looks great. And she said, yeah. I'm not sure he's going to stick with basketball because he really loves AFL. He's having a blast with Australian Rules football. Now, I don't know if you know a lot about that, but that is one of the toughest games in the world. It is it's the endurance required, the hits you have to take, the, the hand-eye coordination, the kicking, is something that he was very, very good at as well. And and he loved it, at the, and he was doing both at that time. And she was actually sort of thinking, oh, well, maybe that might be his the pathway he'll take. Now, he developed so rapidly in basketball that I think that that might have, clearly that, that, that changed, but um, he was very skilled and playing in that team environment, not just um, from a, a cultural standpoint about the, the sportsmanship and the way you conduct yourself, but also having to take those hits and tackle and thrown to the ground. Uh, you develop, you either develop a, a, an ability or resistance to that, or you whimper and you take up some other sport, uh, but he, he embraced it and was very good at it, and I think that that just shows that, that, the, that he can take a hit, he, he doesn't shy away from a physical physical contact, contest, and, and in fact, would probably welcome it. And you played with Dave Simmons, right, for Melbourne, and that was also during part of Brett's tenure there? Yeah, I, I played for him with, with, with Dave Simmons for, uh, uh, let me see, I want to say eight years, yeah, so I know Dave really well. Uh, I know Dave and Julie, you know, his wife, reasonably well. Um, I had a little bit, I, I, I haven't had a lot to do with, with Ben, in all honesty, because uh, he, he played in different part. And, they, you know, Dave was looking after him. And you know, like anything, you, you, you grow apart. But I saw Dave before the start of the season here in uh, Australia. And, and, and he played with the Melbourne Tigers most of his career, where we won a championship back in 93. But... He actually spent one season with the Sydney Kings, so he was visiting a friend here, and we had a practice game, and I, I saw him and caught up with Dave quickly, brought him into the locker room, introduced him to all our current players. So when I was around, I tried to, you know, we, we say day and we, we're, we're friendly and all, and but I don't see as much of him, obviously, as I used to during those playing days. But he was a pretty excellent player, right? His number was retired, ironically, player. not probably so much coincidentally, number 25. Yeah, that's right. No, he was a, he was a great player, and 
was part of a generation that really transformed our club, the Melbourne Tigers. So he came, his first season was back in 1989. Um, and, uh, and he was part of a team that uh, we made our first playoff appearances in the NBL with, um, with Dave. He was, I guess, in, in our time back then, he was a, an undersized five, but uh, in our league, the league in general was a little undersized. Um, but, um, but yeah, he was, he, he had a, a fantastic career in the NBL. Um, great athlete, very good around the basket. I, 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 I know I'm not going to offend him and say that his offspring is probably a little, a little superior to what he was, <laughs> but nevertheless, he was, um, he was a tremendous player, had a great attitude to the game and, um, I enjoyed my time playing alongside Dave. He, he helped me out a lot. Hopefully, we helped him out a lot as well. And, and uh, clearly, life turned out pretty good for him but for having that call. He actually got on the Melbourne Tigers team. The year I was at Seton Hall, my club team, the Tigers, back in those days that you could do tours and you'd play college teams. And um, he joined the team. And, and the very first game that he played, I wasn't there because I was playing college basketball, but but Dad was coaching, and we didn't have our full complement of players. It was really a makeshift team. And they, they said uh, that he was recommended that, that he might be a good player in Australia. And he came, and his first game that he played was against the University of Oklahoma. And um, this, is, this is when, I think, Ricky Grace, Mookie Blaylock, uh, Mookie, uh, I forget his name, but, yeah, Ricky Grace was there. They had some um, uh, great players playing with him. And they literally lost that game by 60. And uh, Dave was there. <laughs> so they lose by 60. And I'm sure everyone's thinking, well, we've got no chance of signing this guy. He's not going to want to come and play with us. But fortunately, he understood that, that it was a, uh, a makeshift team just trying to get there and working through a process. And he signed on and uh, the rest is history. It's clearly changed his life and it certainly helped our club team as well. Well, Andrew, you have been a great sport taking some of these questions. I've kept you for a little bit longer than I said I would, but last thing. Right now, it looks like, if I'm not mistaken, nine Aussies in the NBA from the likes of Simmons to Patty Mills, obviously, yeah. Matt Delvadova, Aaron Baines. Um, for someone like yourself who's grown up around the game in the country to see the influence that Australia has increasingly had in the NBA, how neat has this been for you, your family, to see the growth of the sport through the lens of the country? Oh, it's, it's phenomenal. I, I think we, we always dreamt of this and, and tried to envisage it, but I don't think anyone thought that we're going to have this type of impact in, in a, a relatively short period of time. And, and a lot of that's because the talent here, the development programs we have culturally, a sporting culture, all those things um, uh, are, are an advantage for us. But I think the, the biggest thing is more what the United States has done. Those, when I was coming through, they, they really didn't embrace or look beyond their borders. And the fact that they now look beyond their borders and the talent that they have in the league, and you say, well, it's a league of nations. The greatest players in the world are playing there, and, and some of the greatest players in the world are, in fact, not necessarily Americans. But that's okay, and I, and, and I think that it's it's made the NBA a better place for it. It's it's, it's made um, the opportunity here to see our Australian players get drafted. We've had two number one draft picks uh, over the last 15 years with Andrew Bogut and, of course, with Ben and many other very high draft picks. 
And to think that that was going to happen 20 or 30 years ago, I mean, people would have thought you'd, you'd lost your mind. But it's, um, it's, it's a fantastic uh, situation we have. There's still many, many more to come. The game's in a really, really healthy state here in, in Australia. And I think it's, it's not just the fact that we've got uh, great athletes. You know, you look at Elma Vadova and winning an NBA title, Paddy Mills winning an NBA title, Aaron Baines winning an NBA title. Uh, it's not just the fact that they're having success on the floor. I think it's the way in which they conducted themselves the, the class, the respect for the game, respect for their teammates, respect for Australian basketball has really promoted and helped propagate the sport here in, in Australia that we, we're fortunate that the next few generations coming through, there's still a lot, a lot of talent there and just couldn't be more prouder of the way in which uh, these guys have, have helped grow the game here in, in, in Australia. Outstanding perspective on so many great things, Australian basketball from Brett Brown to... Ben Simmons and his family, one of the best basketball players ever produced by the country of Australia, one of the top international players of all time. He is currently the head coach of the Sydney Kings, Andrew Gaze. Thanks so much for being so generous with your time and for the insight and stories. It's a pleasure, mate. Good on you. What a great, lively, and insightful personality. Andrew Gaze, a FIBA basketball Hall of Famer. Thanks to Andrew for picking up an international phone call from the good old US of A. Thanks to you for listening and uh, enjoy the weekend. 76ers with games against the New Orleans Pelicans and Los Angeles Clippers on Friday and Saturday night respectively. Talk to you over the weekend on the Rewind edition of the podcast. See you. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. This message comes from Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive, with no children and no casinos. Discover more at Viking.com. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender.